Welcome to the sermon podcast of South Hills Church in Costa Mesa. My name is Chris Kretzu, and I'm the campus pastor here. Thank you for carving out the time to listen to this today. I hope that you will be encouraged and challenged, and ultimately that you'll have a deeper sense of God's love for you. I'll be back after the message is over, but until then, I hope that you enjoyed this episode. My name is Chris. I'm the campus pastor here. Thanks for hanging out with us. Um, We are uh, closing out, like Ez said, we're closing out September, which is kind of crazy. It's officially fall now, apparently, which is kind of crazy. And we're in it. We got our pumpkin spice lattes and we're just ready to go for the rest of the year. So uh, we've been in a series um, all month long called Tiny Gold Statues. And uh, the series has really been on something that we don't necessarily think about a whole lot or even talk about a whole lot, which is idols. And and oftentimes when we think about idols, we think of them in kind of like the Indiana Jones type of way, like a golden statue. Uh, And that's not really a reality for a lot of us in our day-to-day lives. But idols are really so much more than a specific statue. They're, They're anything that we would elevate to a higher level of importance in our lives than it actually belongs. Anything that we would say that my significance or my security or my identity is based in this thing, this person, this idea. We've talked about uh, power. We've talked about approval. We've talked about comfort. We've talked about all of these different things that oftentimes we start to pursue and prioritize in our lives in unhealthy ways. And we fall into the trap of starting to believe that these things are able to give us what we most long for. Uh, For people in the room, that if you're a Christian, then then you kind of understand at least uh, kind of cognitively that God is ultimately who is able to provide us with these things that we long for. But the reality is for all of us, regardless of what you believe, it's hard hard sometimes to, to hold on to the reality of our desire for these tangible things when we kind of serve an intangible God. We don't often hear God's voice answer us. We don't necessarily see him next to us in difficult situations. We don't always see strength being given to it. We don't see that process visually or tangibly. It's it's a difficult thing for us to experience. So we fall into the trap of believing that all of these different things can give us what we most long for. There's an author, a writer named C.S. Lewis, and he put it this way. He said, if you want to get warm, you must stand near the fire. If you want to be wet, you must get in the water. If you want joy, power, peace, eternal life, you must get close to or even into the thing that has them. And again, the reality for so many of us is that we have these desires, we have these things that we long for, and it's just, it's so tempting to try and find them in tangible experiences all around us, to find a sense of approval or love from people around us, to find a sense of power uh, in finances or position or title, to uh, all these, these different things, and, and we're called ultimately to experience them in our Heavenly Father. Over the last hundred years, there's been all kinds of psychological research that has just shown us once, uh, once again, over and over again, that humans find uncertainty and a lack of control absolutely intolerable. Uh, the uncertainty of serving an invisible God is challenging, even for the most faithful people. 
there is a, a challenge that comes with the uncertainty that, that exists in our lives, the lack of control that exists in our lives. And, and oftentimes we get to a place where we can't bear it anymore. And so we find ways to feel in control. Now, I, I know there's a lot of different people in the room. And so when I say this next phrase, it'll spark different things for each one of us. And I'm not trying to have like a Facebook comment debate here. <laughs> But there's a reason why there has been a massive spike in people's uh, signing on to and believing in conspiracy theories is because sometimes, even if it's a crazy idea, it's just so much easier to have an explanation for it rather than to be uncertain. And this isn't like, uh, oh, Christians have done this really well and non-Christians haven't. How many pastors and authors and religious leaders have said, well, the world's going to end on this day and at this time? I mean, it's happened over and over and over again because, I, I believe, it's because we so desire certainty and control. We want to know how to plan, how to live, how to interact. What, what can we do to have some sort of control over the day-to-day -day lives. And this is what we're talking about for the final, the final message of this series, the idol of control. A dictionary defines control as the power to influence or direct people's behavior or the course of events. But control isn't just about getting to uh, define a person's behavior or to, to, to actually have this idea. It actually comes to do with this idea of power that we have, the sense of empowerment of I am able to define my own life. I am able to do something to control my own destiny. I am in control of my own health or longevity or my future or whatever it is. There's a sense of empowerment that comes and we long, we, we desire that. Nobody likes feeling out of control, but for some people, that level of uncertainty really is like a nightmare. The desire for self-discipline, certainty, and, and meeting certain standards above all things. Oftentimes, we're willing to sacrifice a lot in our lives in order to feel like we have control. We say things like, if I want it done right, I've got to do it myself. If I want it to work, I need to be there. If I'm not present, things aren't going to happen. These are all ideas that we start to believe because we think that we have some deep level of control over all these different aspects of our lives. In our attempt to control our environment, we realize that we can't, and we begin to worry. And the worry causes us to try and control more things. And then we realize that I can't control those things, and so I worry some more. And it's just this cycle that we go around and around. Uh, this new school year was a big one for us. Our two kids are going to different schools now. One's in elementary school, which is two blocks from our house, and one's in junior high school, which is six blocks from our house. Uh, and the junior hire wanted to uh, ride his bike to school, and so we went through this whole process. We got him a new bike as like a graduation uh, birthday gift, kind of a combined thing, and, and we were wanting to be ready for this new school year. And uh, what made it really terrifying, above all things, is that in the like six weeks before he got his new bike, he had two massive accidents on his old bike. <laughs> I was like, oh, well, this is going well. Uh, so the good news is the new bike doesn't have any scratches on it. The bad news is his body has some. Uh, but, uh, but there is this sense for us as we got closer to school starting that we wanted to, obviously, we want to make sure he's safe, you know. So I, I rode with him 
over and over again, this route that he takes to school and pick the safest route for him to take. And obviously we got him a helmet. And, uh, I, you know, I, when I ride with him, I do all of the things that I want him to do. And I don't even do most of those things when I ride my bike by myself. And I'm like, you see how your dad is stopping completely at the stop sign? Like, I do that all the time, even when you're not here. And I want you to do that too, you know? I'm like doing my best. Like, I want you to do these things. Uh, the school offers this one-week kind of bike safety training, and the kids really are uh, encouraged, uh, required to take it in order to ride their bikes to school. And so we're like, yes, that's great. So he's going to do this thing. And, and we're doing everything that we can to make sure that he is safe. And when he leaves the house, I have zero control over whether he's actually safe. I cannot control what happens. I cannot control what decisions he makes. I cannot control what other drivers do, what other kids do on other bikes. But there is a sense of safety or comfort that I choose to believe, like I've done so much, and it kind of gives me this illusion of control. I've done enough to make him or to keep him safe. We often look for control as a solution to our fears or as our anxiety but control also produces those things. The more we try to control something that's uncontrollable, the more out of control we feel. One person said it's like we're trying to treat the sickness with its cause. We're trying to treat the sickness, this, this idea of the worry or the anxiety, the fear that we have in our lives, we're trying to take care of it by controlling our lives, which we can't do. And it creates a sense of worry and anxiety and fear. There's a really incredible book that has been helpful as I've gotten ready for this sermon specifically. I, I think it's a great book for anyone, but especially if you start to realize that control is a big thing for you, I would recommend this book. It's called The Cost of Control. It's by a pastor and author named Sharon Hottie Miller. Um, and she spends a lot of time talking about these different aspects, but I just wanted to give like an overview of just some of the costs that come along with uh, our attempts at controlling our lives. I think we have, uh, yeah, uh, so there's a few different categories of the ways that it shows up. Uh, the first one is broken relationships from the toxic impact of controlling others, because you probably know this, at least deep down inside, that you cannot control other people, but we try. And oftentimes it's really damaging. It causes a lot of strain on the relationships. We talk about burnout from the never-ending work of controlling our circumstances. We're always, the wheels are always spinning. The effort is always being put out to make sure that everything is taken care of. And, and oftentimes it leads to burnout. There's a sense of shame in our bodies from oftentimes the impossible ideal of wanting our bodies to look a certain way or to feel a certain way or to function a certain way, a way that we've kind of idolized in our mind or maybe other people have said that we need to be a certain way. Uh, the, the cost of control, the anxiety that we experience from the, uh, the constant pressure of working to control uh, our reputations. We talk about the exhaustion that comes from struggling to control our identity. I mean, there are so many different ways that this shows up and we still choose to believe that we can control all of these things. And again, it's not just the actual control, but even the illusion of control that we've been offered. The times when we don't even have control, but we have this sense of it. How, how long do you think it should take you? If you order something online, how long should it take you to get it? Two days. Two days. 
or tomorrow between 7 and 11 a.m. That's an option now, too. It's like there is a sense of, oh, yeah, I can for sure get this in time. And who has, like, thrown their phone in anger? What do you mean a week? You know, it's like, there's like this. It's like, that's not right. I don't want to live in that world. I need it now. Uh, it shows up and when we decide we want to watch a movie and I, I want to stream it. And what do you mean it has to buffer or it has to load? I mean, there's this, it shows up when we go to purchase a new vacuum or a refrigerator. We had to buy one of those last year. And it's like, well, I'm going to buy one refrigerator and it better last me the rest of my life because these things are way too expensive. So let me read all the reviews to make sure I get the best one that will last the longest. There's a sense of control and I really have none. It's a total illusion, but it's giving me the sense that, you know, if our kid has a cough or a rash, we Google it to see what's happening. You know, we, we have all of these different things and it offers us the illusion of control. It kind of helps us believe that we have more control in our lives than we really do. The illusion of control is powerful. If we feel like we're in control, it almost doesn't matter if we actually are whether it's foods we avoid to prevent cancer, the extensive plans that we make for an upcoming vacation, these decisions are no guarantee of anything, but it helps us feel better in the moment. And on the other side, we rage when things don't go the way that we planned or the way that they should. I want to be clear, we're not supposed to live in chaos. We're not supposed to love the feeling of chaos or even really be comfortable in it. As you read through the scripture and you look at the beginning in Genesis, there is this poem about creation and it talks about how actually God is a God of order. It talks about how the spirit hovered over the chaos and the darkness and, and he took the chaos and he formed life and goodness out of chaos so there is a sense of order that actually is, we're, we're designed to be able to thrive and, and that's why we desire that. But obviously there's a brokenness that comes along in our humanity. In this garden, they had everything that they needed, food, water, companionship, connection with God, with others. They had a purpose. There was no fear or anger. There was peace and unity and freedom, but they were not in control. And there is this instruction that God gives in Genesis chapter 2. I just want to read a couple of these verses. It says, And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. So there is a sense of everything that they have, everything that they need, everything that they could really desire, is, is, it exists for them. But there is one boundary. There's one limitation there is one area where they don't have full control over their lives. And the enemy, Satan, takes advantage of this and he exploits it. In Genesis chapter 3, when he's talking to Eve, he says, You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And I think he's been running the same strategy in our lives ever since. This idea of, you know what, you don't actually have to trust solely on God. You can be like him. You can have enough control. You can have the knowledge. You can have the say-so. You can have the ability to manage your own life. And it is so tempting for all of us. 
We fall into this myth, really, this lie. We, we believe it in so many areas of our lives. It's almost impossible for us to believe that the only time freedom and peace existed in the world wasn't in the absence of boundaries, but within them. And the more we seek control, the less control we feel. So how do we avoid the temptation? How do we avoid this kind of desire to grasp for control in our lives? There is a very short and spiritual and true answer. Uh, it's very easy. And sometimes, I don't know about you guys, but I feel like easy answers aren't always the most helpful answers. But the, the easy and true answer is to trust God more. It is true. Uh, and it's also hard. And the reality for so many of us, the reality for me, and I, I imagine many of you, is that one of the things that is really difficult for us to trust God is because we don't actually, we're not convinced that God actually is good. Or maybe that he actually is good to us to me. Like he's good to other people. I saw that car they drove in on, or I saw that that house that they live in or whatever, you know, whatever the situation is. He's good to other people, but that's not how I've experienced it. And I, I don't want to diminish any of the difficulty. I mean, if we were, we don't have time today, so relax. But if we were to like all get up and share our experiences, <laughs> we have all been through some horrendous things, painful, loss, uh, unimaginable. I'm not trying to diminish that. It's because of those things, it causes us to wonder, to doubt, to question, is God actually good? Should I? Can I trust God? And so for some of us, there is a journey that we need to maybe begin or continue on of learning who God is and who God is in my life, learning what does it mean, discovering God's great love for you specifically. It's a difficult thing, but I think as we begin to embrace this reality of God being a good father who is pleased and loves you and wants good things for you, I think that's such an important starting place. It's not what the sermon's about today, but it is so important. The second thing that I want to say is that the word control is actually not in the Bible. And when we look at the Hebrew and the Greek, kind of the languages that was originally written in, we were never told that we should be in control. It's not, it's not in there. The closest thing that we get is a, the Greek word enkratia, which is kind of translated in the New, the New Testament as self-control or self-mastery. This is why one of the things that we've talked about, I've said this a million times, hopefully it sounds familiar to you, but the only kind of control that we're actually supposed to have is self-control. That's the only kind of control that we're told to experience. And even that is something that grows as God's spirit lives inside of us. And even then, we don't get it perfectly. So the Apostle Paul, who's kind of like, if you were to pick someone who's really got their spiritual life figured out in the Bible, other than Jesus, it would be the Apostle Paul. And Paul, in the book of Romans, he wrote, the things that I want to do, I don't do. And the things that I don't want to do, I still do them. Even for Paul, self-control was still a challenge. 
it was still difficult. But, but the idea of us being in control is not a biblical concept. And so if you are living under the belief that you should be in control of your life, I think that you have a different understanding of what that means. We're also not talking about self-control today. I wonder how many things I'm going to talk about that I'm actually not going to talk about. You guys are like just scratching out notes like, okay, never mind. We're not talking about that. Okay, uh, I can need some more paper over here. What I want to talk about today, because as we've said over the last few weeks, you know, this idea of an idol or a desire, this thing that we long for or are grasping for, we can't just pretend we don't want it. We can't just pretend like, okay, I'll just not go for that anymore. It's like, that's not realistic. We have to replace it with something better. We have to replace it with something more beautiful, more true, more realistic. And that's what I want to talk about today. God does not give us control, but he does give us agency. And this is a word that I want to talk about a little bit because I don't know if we're as familiar with this concept. And when we talk about control, I think some of us might understand we don't have full control, but a lot of times the words we use matter. And the way we think about things matters. Agency is the power to influence ourselves, others, and our circumstances. It's not control over others and our circumstances, but it's it's the power to influence those things, to make an impact. We can't control the weather. We can't control our health completely. We can't control who our children grow up to be. We can't control what others think about us. We can't control if our friends stay married. We can't control the economy. We can't control so many things. But in almost every one of these things, we have agency. We have influence in these things. So my son, uh, let's see here. He's what some call indoorsy. Uh, just like me, uh, I'm not going to put him on blast. Uh, we like, uh, things like movies and music and poetry, uh, you know, all these different things. Uh, so he loves music and as he's getting older, he's 12 now, turned 12 this summer. And as he's getting older, I'm trying to figure out like, when do I start introducing him to the really good stuff that's maybe not appropriate for younger kids to listen to? Don't judge me, okay? I haven't judged any of you today, so just take it easy. The perfect place for imperfect people, all that stuff, okay? So just like safety here. Um, So I've started introducing him to some different artists and musicians and bands and things like that. And and so one of them that I started with, uh, and just with the clean songs, was uh, Chance the Rapper. And I love rap music. I love hip-hop specifically. I don't love a ton of new stuff, but he's one of the artists over the last number of years that I've really enjoyed a lot. And he played in L.A. at the Forum, and so I got tickets, and we took him to see Chance the Rapper live. And what I didn't have control over was everybody else's choices at that concert, (laughs) which I learned very quickly. But here's the thing. I can't control whether my kid grows up to like good music or even if he likes good rap music. But I have agency, and I can influence him. I can introduce him to the greats. I can take him to a concert. I can help him experience these things. And he ultimately is going to make his own choice. 
I don't get to control it, but I can use the agency that I have to be able to set up this experience and create these memories that hopefully will reinforce this desire to listen to good rap music. <laughs> it's a silly example, but does this idea make sense? I can't actually, I can't force him to like it. I can't force him to have a good time. He did, obviously. We had a great time. So especially me, which is all that really matters. But, uh, but I can use my agency to influence his experience. And this shows up in every aspect of our lives. This shows up in our work. I don't necessarily get to control what's happening with the company that I work for. But I get to use my agency. I, I get to influence and build into it. I don't get to control what my spouse does. But I get to use my agency and I get to influence our relationship in a specific way. I don't get to control whether my kid is safe when he rides his bike to school. But I, you better believe I use my agency to do everything I can to influence that experience to be as safe as possible. This is what we're invited to have. This is what we get to actually do. You don't actually get to control anything. And when you grasp for it, it actually causes pain and anxiety and exhaustion and burnout and broken relationships. But if you would begin to realize, if I would begin to realize, I actually get to have agency and influence and I'm gonna choose to spend my time and my energy influencing versus the myth of controlling, who knows what could happen? There's a passage in Matthew chapter six. It's a really beautiful passage, uh, especially on this idea of worry and anxiety and control. Jesus is preaching uh, what's called the Sermon on the Mount. It's like the longest sermon that Jesus preached. And so many things that you're familiar with from the Bible come from this collection of chapters. But in Matthew six, starting in verse 25, he says, for this reason, I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is life not more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the sky. They do not sow or reap or gather crops into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more important than they? And which of you by worrying can add a single day to his lifespan? And why are you worried about clothing? Notice how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor, nor do they spin thread for cloth. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all of his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the, gra uh, the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you? You of little faith. Do not worry, saying, what are we to eat? Or what are we to drink? Or what are we to wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all of these things. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all of these things will be provided to you. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And everyone said, Amen. This day has enough trouble of its own. This is a, a long passage, and there's so much in here, but I, I want to point out a couple things. One is when Jesus says the Gentiles are chasing after these things, what to eat and what to wear, he's not saying it in like, look at how stupid these Gentiles are. He's saying it from the sense of, you serve a loving, heavenly Father who knows what you need. 
they believe that it's up to them to control their lives. You have the gift of knowing that you serve a powerful God who loves you, is aware of your needs, is aware of your desires, and is with you in the midst of life. It's not to diminish others. It's a reminder. When we start to chase after these things, we have to ask ourselves, do I believe that God is good? Do I believe that God is there for me? Do I believe that God knows what my needs are? We have to wrestle with these questions. The other aspect of this thing, uh, this passage, is that I think that there can be this uh, mistaken idea, and there's been times that in kind of the Christian tradition and in other traditions where people are like, okay, well, we're not going to work, we're not going to do anything, and we're just going to totally rely on God for everything and trust. And, and there's like, you know, traditions of monks that have lived this way and all, all kinds of incredible things. I don't think that God is saying, don't do anything and don't, don't work I think that what God is saying in verse 33, when he says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. He's not saying, just think about heaven a lot, and you'll magically get close. What he's saying is, if you will live inside of the way that I have designed for you to live, my kingdom, the way that I, I designed for you to experience full, whole life, is by recognizing that you're not in control is by recognizing that there is a loving creator God, by recognizing that there are boundaries that we're invited to live inside of, and it's not to take away our fun, but it's actually to help us thrive and experience wholeness because we weren't created to actually even be able to handle control. There is this invitation for us to choose to believe that God will continue to meet our needs as we live our lives the way he's called us to live. Not just delaying hard work or effort. We're called to do those things. We've talked about that so much in the past. But there is a sense of the worry that we start to spin out in and trying to control each detail. We weren't designed to live with control, but we were designed to live with agency. Agency is the power to influence ourselves, others, and our circumstances. And just as another thing that I'm not preaching about today, but you can write in your notes and then cross out. This is also part of the reason why bad things happen. Because we were given agency. And I can and should choose to do good with it. But I can also choose to do bad. I can also choose to cause pain I can also choose broken things. I can choose the way of life or I can choose the way of death. And the invitation for us day in and day out is which path are we going to choose? So just cross that out. We'll talk about that another time. Agency is less about, uh, it's less absolute than control. It operates within limits. Adam and Eve had agency in the garden. They didn't have unlimited freedom or knowledge, or power, but they did have free will, and they had influence. God gave them jobs and tasks to create, to cultivate, to subdue, to plant, to garden, to name the animals, all of these different things. He gave them agency and influence and say-so in the garden. They partnered with God. They were neither all-powerful nor powerless. There's this theological term 
uh, about God that he is omnipotent, which means all-powerful. And there's an incredible author and psychologist named Henry Cloud, and he says that one of our primary struggles is that we know uh, that God is omnipotent, and we want to be omnipotent, but we are just a little potent. Like we have a little bit of influence. We have a little bit of power. We have a little bit of say-so in our lives, and we like to think that we have as much as we want. And the reality is that that is God's role, and we have a space of agency in our lives, of influence in our lives. Um, I didn't even show this in the first service. I totally missed it. So that's fun. You guys get something special. Um, there is this, uh, well, there's this quote from um, the author of that book, The Cost of Control. She says, when we, when we relinquish control in favor of agency, we set down the influence that God has not given us to pick up the influence that he has. We're essentially just releasing our desire to take these things that were never offered to us in the first place and that we're not even capable of handling. And we're picking up something more beautiful and more real that we actually get some say-so over. I'm going to show you guys this little graph, the difference between control and agency. Do we have that slide? Yeah, there it is. So in our relationships, control would be manipulating, pressuring, coercing, strong-arming, and forcing people but using the agency would be providing wise counsel, support, encouragement, and prayer. In our circumstances in life, it would be uh, control would be overworking, obsessively planning, cutting ethical corners, cheating. But to use the agency that we're given, it would just be about planning, preparing, and executing, like doing the work as it needs to be done, prioritizing rest, maintaining a moral code and a well-ordered life. And our reputation Control would be cultivating a false image, managing what others think about us. But agency would be cultivating integrity, being the same person in public that we are in private. There's this way for us to live that says, I don't actually, I, I can't. Not only should I not want to, but I am unable to control. So let me live in the, in the space that God has designed for me to live and use the agency that he has given me. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7 says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, of love, and self-discipline. Each week at the end of the message, we've talked about one scripture to memorize and, and to help us kind of replace these false beliefs and these kind of pursuits of these other idols. And how do we remind ourselves of the truth? Fear is what oftentimes drives us to control. I'm afraid of what might happen if. That is not from God. And God has given us a spirit of power, of love, and self-discipline. Power was modeled for us in Christ. Power to use who we are and what we have to serve others, to love others well. This idea of love, it's not defined like the world defines it. We love people based on how good they are or what they can do for us. But the love that Christ modeled is a love of others, regardless of who they are or what they can do for us. And then this idea of self-discipline, again, it comes down to what is it in your life that you can exert self-control over? My world feels like it's falling apart but do you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to make my home 
feel safe. I'm going to organize, clean. I'm going to straighten up. My business is insane, but my cubicle will not be. Uh, All of these relationships are strained, but I'm going to carve out a certain time, amount of time each day or each week to spend some one-on-one. It's like, you know what? I have some agency. I have some self-control. I can engage in certain ways that will help bring health. The invitation for us today is to replace this myth of control with the beautiful reality that you and I were each given agency in our lives. We were invited, commanded even, to use that influence in our lives. We cannot possibly control everything, and it doesn't even feel good when we try to. I want to close with a prayer. Sometimes when I pray, I uh, just kind of shoot from the hip. I just kind of go with, with the moment. Sometimes I'll think about what I want to pray, and then I'll just kind of like generally follow that flow. Now, sometimes when I pray, I'll, I'll actually read prayers that were written. Sometimes other people write these. There's, I mean, all kinds of incredible records of these beautiful prayers from the past thousands of years. Even a lot of what we read in the scripture is actually people's prayers. There's a prayer that I want to read today. I'm going to read it on the screen. You're invited to read it on the screen also. You can pray with your eyes open. Uh, But it's a prayer about control and about agency. And I want us to be able to close out with this idea so that we can kind of cement these ideas, these words, these truths in our hearts and in our minds this morning. Let's read this together. Well, let me clarify. I'll read it for us together. So didn't want anybody to feel awkward. Jesus, this world feels out of control. Very often I feel out of control. I want to fix things or know what is going to happen. And deep down, I don't believe I can have peace any other way. I like my control. I like being in the driver's seat of my life. I think I know what is best, and I hate to wait. This is why I'm asking you to change my heart. Sober me with the knowledge of my own limitations. Convict me of the consequences of control. Turn my heart to your will and your ways, and away from the folly of trusting in my own. Empower me to exercise my God-given agency instead of seeking after control. Well, regardless of where you may be at in your faith journey, I believe that everyone has a next step that they can take. If you'd like more information about what it means to put your trust in Jesus, information about getting baptized or maybe even attending a Discover class to grow more in your faith, you can visit us online at southhills.org forward slash Costa Mesa, and then scroll down to the next steps section. If you'd like more information about tithing or supporting South Hills financially, you can visit southhills.org forward slash giving. Thanks again for listening today, and I hope that I get to see you soon.